Uh, Jesus, you should be the center of all attention, the center of our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us even now. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're, our sermon title is called, How to Think About Legalism. How to Think About Legalism. So I'm going to define that real quick. Legalism is faking faking, pretending that you are really spiritual. Faking that Jesus is really controlling your life and instead it's following rules so that it looks like you are really saved or really controlled by the Holy Spirit. Many saved Christians are legalists. They're very concerned about their performance. They're very self-centered. And legalism is just a word that we have attached to this mindset of self-centered, and not really self-centered even, self-sourced spirituality. Say that ten times fast. Self-sourced spirituality. That is legalism. Self-sourced spirituality. Let's read Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, when he says finally, he doesn't mean I'm coming to the end of my discussion. He's not even close. (laughs) It means for the next thing. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. It is going to take us three weeks to get through this seven verses. Because of how much is in here. But he starts out and he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but it is safe. This term, rejoice in the Lord, is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament phrase, hallelujah. You guys know that? Hallelujah, what does that mean? Shout it out. Rejoice or praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, praise the Lord, that's what it means. And this is the New New Testament equivalent for that rejoice in the lord to praise the lord or to rejoice in the lord is our action or response to all that he is and all that he has done god loves our praise he loves it because he loves us and it is always a good thing to praise the lord even if you're in like job situation dan and i were listening to the book of job last night as we were falling asleep, and, and I was struck again when 
all these horrible things happen to him. Four messengers in a row come. This happened, and the Sabaeans came and took your cows, and then your kids all died. And he just said, praise the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's an interesting time to praise the Lord, isn't it? He loves us, and it's always a good thing for us to praise him because we are rejoicing in something outside of ourselves. When you say hallelujah, you are going outside of who you are in your flesh, and you're praising something that is different, something that is separate, something that is holy. It is focusing on the Lord. There's not a lot for us to rejoice when we look at ourselves. We have a lot of problems, which leads us to our, our lending library up there. Each one of those things is, is kind of the problems that we go through, and that's a very biblical, very grace-centered and Jesus-centered solution. Each of those little booklets can help us in our, in our issues and in our problems. There's not a lot for us to rejoice about. In fact, nothing. And you can't even really argue with that. But in Christ is all that is good and worthy to be praised. But it takes humility to do this. Because my flesh does not want to admit that I am messed up. I don't want to admit it. I don't want to admit that I'm spiritually bankrupt, that I'm spiritually poor and have nothing good spiritually inside me. Or spiritual value, you could even say. Our value comes only from Christ and in Christ. But when we do admit, when we finally get over that hump of saying, okay, I'm going to ask for help, when we finally get over that, we can freely praise and rejoice in the amazing and gracious love of Jesus who makes us perfect, makes us valuable, and makes us cleansed through faith in him alone. Our flesh loses its ability to resist the Holy Spirit when we keep our eyes and heart focused on Jesus through praise, rejoicing in him. Our flesh, your flesh doesn't want to give Jesus credit. Your flesh wants to take the credit and say, look how hard I worked to stop drinking. Look how hard I worked to stop smoking or to be a better person or to be faithful. Our flesh wants to take the credit and feel like, yeah, I'm a good person. But that's fighting against what Jesus has already done for you. It's trying to take credit for what Jesus says, I'll do for you for free because I love you. So Paul encouraged us to praise the Lord. First, right at the beginning from the heart. And it's a safe place to be for us when we're focused on God's goodness and not our own. It's safe. When you're worried about your performance, it is an unsafe place to be because you will fail. Your trip up. But when you focus on God's performance on the cross, his promises to you, it's a safe place for your heart to be when you keep your eyes on Jesus' works and not your own. We have freedom to rejoice in the Lord, like Paul says here. There is a dangerous place to be. There is a dangerous place. There are dangerous people who want to entice your focus away from the Lord 
and onto yourself. And this is the danger of legalism. This is the danger. It gets our eyes off of what Jesus accomplished and it gets our eyes onto us. And most of the time, our failures. But even if you're focused on your successes, that leads to pride. Never a good thing. So we see verse 2 now. Paul says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in our flesh. Legalism is when we imitate a truly spiritual person. It's when we do our best to keep the rules in our own abilities. It's when we know what the right thing to do is, and we do our best to follow each of these rules, and we think that God is happy or impressed with our efforts or our performance. It might sound good, to give God your best efforts. And I'm going to shock you. It's actually terrible. He does not want your best efforts. He wants perfection. He wants Jesus. We're going to get to the difference in this in a minute. I know it's shocking to hear. I know you might even be like, I don't know what this pastor's talking about. But, your efforts are not really that good. They don't measure up. And get this, it offends God to the deepest level because he has already declared you guilty and disqualified in all of your works. But in his love, he sent his son, Jesus, to do the works you couldn't do and to offer his life for you in free grace. And when you go back after getting saved to being self-focused and, and focused on efforts and performance, you're saying, thanks God, but no thanks to the gospel and to the love of Jesus. But I just want to show him how much I want to do what's right. I want to show him how much I appreciate him. Then do what he said. What did Jesus say to do? They came up and asked Jesus, how do we do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the works of God. Now that I'm here, believe in me. Believe. That is the works that God is concerned about. That is your role. That is your job. And get this. He then will take care of your behavior and your actions through the gospel. Through you believing the gospel. Through you just believing the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the works of Jesus. You engaging with that in humility and faith. He takes responsibility for how you behave. He says, all you do is believe, I will change what you do. I'm working in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. 
God says. We can't think that we know a better way than Jesus of how to follow him. He said, this is how you follow me. Believe. If you're struggling with a sin, the problem isn't you. The problem is believing. You just need to believe more. And the great thing about that is each and every one of you can believe. It is your right. It is your ability. You can believe. We can't think we know a better way. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. My command is for you to believe. In believing, you'll be enabled and equipped to do all of the things that are commanded in the law. A truly spiritual person, by contrast from this legalistic person, doesn't need to bother with laws and rules because they're filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And does the Holy Spirit ever break the law? No. The Holy Spirit always fulfills the law because he is holy. It's in his name. We are free when we're filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, to act from the heart to be who we truly are. And the actions that follow a spirit-controlled person and a spirit-filled person always honor God. They line up with the law of God. But the spirit-filled person who did all this, he did it without self-effort or self-focused law-keeping performancism. He doesn't try. He's stopped trying. He was free to say, I can't do that. I can't be a good person. And we say it with a smile. And people are like, how can you say that? I'm, I'm a horrible person. But when I come to Jesus and I ask him for his Holy Spirit, he gives it to me. And it's free. And my actions follow what the Holy Spirit leads we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace is always described as a gift. If, you're connect, if you connected the dots through all that we've just been talking about, you probably have figured out that keeping the law or doing what's right is also a gift. It's a gift. Are you struggling with keeping the law? It's a gift. And God is not holding it back. It's a free offer. The Holy Spirit will enable you, equip you to follow the law, to obey the law. It's a gift. But there are people that don't want you to, keep the, to get this gift. There are people who want you to try to earn this gift. And he calls those people dogs. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers and the mutilation." For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and has no confidence in the flesh. Paul knows that, that the people who struggle the most with legalism are religious people who grew up in the church or synagogue. So Paul uses some graphic words to grab the attention of all the fakers in church. All the people who are not really filled with the Holy Spirit, 
but are caught up in this legalism, caught up in their performance of the law. Dogs back then were not like the pets we have today. Who's got a dog? I love dogs. Love dogs. Back then, we did not love dogs. Dogs were not pets. They were、um, troublemakers. They they were not super ah nice to have around. They were they would fight over the scraps. People used them kind of like garbage disposals. They would toss the scraps out, and they would fight, and sometimes they'd bite their kids, and they were nothing but trouble. Dogs. And it's the exact same term that a Jew would use for a Gentile. Isn't that crazy? The herds.、Uh, I, I found this description of the dogs back in the day. The herds of dogs which prowl about the eastern cities, without a home and without an owner, feeding on the refuse and the filth of the streets, quarreling among themselves and attacking the passerby, explain the application of this image. Legalistic people are not. Peaceful, full of peace. They are living in a constant state of condemnation and self-efforts, failing expectations, and they can't stand anyone who just rejoices in all that Jesus has done for them. Anyone who just believes in the power and sufficiency of grace, they're like, "That's a, such an immature way to think about God. You gotta, you gotta dig deep." Ah.、Oh. Paul calls them what they are, which is dogs, just plain mean, and that's what the spirit of legalism develops. You literally can't rejoice in God anymore because you're too busy worrying about yourself and rejoicing in yourself. And God is the big guy upstairs that constantly is bothering you with his standards. And I could never measure up to this God who always wants me to forgive people, always wants me to love my wife. Always wants me to be kind to my children and my coworkers. These standards are too high, and God is a jerk for forcing them upon me. That's what just naturally comes from legalism. Paul says, "Beware of these dogs," and then he goes on and calls them evil workers. Because their whole deal is works. Paul is just simply saying that it's funny that their whole deal is works because their works are actually evil. Yes, they are trying their best to be good. What a what is a person to do? I try to be good, but God sees it as evil. Well, I may just as well quit trying to be good and enjoy sin. But I really don't want to go to hell. So what do I do? The answer: believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. When you believe the gospel, you will not be dominated by sin. You become free from the sin that seems so hard to stop. Before all of a sudden, you're like, I'm free. I don't know how this happened, but all of a sudden, my heart does not long for the things it did before. And if your heart does long for the things you did before, you just need to believe the gospel more. That is the freedom that Jesus brings. But Paul is not done yet. 
He's about to really throw down the hammer. He's pulling out his knife or his sword. Hey, I even brought an illustration here. Aren't I a good preacher? Preacher, I brought a knife. We'll just leave this here for you to look at and ponder upon. He says, beware of the mutilation. The mutilation. Legalism is brutal. It is violent. It is bondage. Chains, knives, blinders are the tools of its trade. Bondage, blood, and blindness are the result of a life giving, given over to law-keeping performancism. Jesus summed up the law in two commandments. What were they? Love God with all your heart. Love others. Well taught. And then he summed it up in two words. What were those two words that Jesus used? Be perfect. Well done. Ten Jesus points, Norm. Be perfect. Legalism always leads to such striving against sin that mutilation seems like a real possibility. Legalism pushes us further and further because your efforts never match up to the standards. And you end up thinking, well, if I didn't have this body part or that one, maybe I would have more success. I just can't beat this flesh. Has anyone been there? Yeah. I give up. And so what happens here is he, Paul uses the word mutilation, which in Greek is katatome, which is a pun that he's using, making fun of legalists. And it references the mutilating practices of the pagan priests back in Leviticus chapter 21 that God forgave. And not only that, but we remember these prophets. We saw a story about them on top of Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And they were fighting with Elijah. And remember that they were having a little bit of problem getting their God to answer them and to take the sacrifice because Elijah had challenged them to this duel. And, and so they started yelling really loudly. And then they started, what, cutting themselves, right? Cutting themselves so that their God would hear them or would listen to them. It's self-efforts it's legalism. Look at my performance. Look at all I'm doing for you. Look, look, look. I'm even cutting myself. Doesn't that make you happy? And Elijah laughed at them. He said, maybe your God is hard of hearing. Maybe your God's on the toilet. One of the greatest verses. Well, how do these connections relate to the people Paul's talking about and furthermore to us? Legalistic people in the church, how, how do, why does this dancing naked cutting yourself, how, what does that have to do with us? These are people in the church that believe in Jesus. And the people that Paul talked to, the legalists he was dealing with in Philippi, they were Christians. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they were convinced that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to really get all that God was offering in the gospel. That they needed to bring efforts and works along with faith in Jesus in order to really please God. 
And that's where the big issue is. Circumcision was a cutting away of some flesh on the body. If you don't know what that is, ask an elder. (laughs) And this act of circumcision perfectly illustrates the dangers of legalism. It was painful, bloody, external. An external work done with a knife. It was supposed to be an outward sign of a life separated to God, but it did nothing for the heart. It didn't change the heart. Our outward efforts to keep the law do not look beautiful. They don't. They look brutal and ugly from God's perspective. He is not impressed. Oh, but I tried so hard. No, you didn't. You tried in your weak human efforts that have been forever infected by the putrid disease of sin. So don't tell me I can try hard enough for God to be happy with me. No, you can't. The gospel says no. It leaves no room for works on your end. Jesus said it is done except for what you're going to bring except for all that you can add. No, he didn't say that. And by trying your best in human efforts, you actually turn your back on the grace and help of Jesus that was offered to you. You choose to rejoice in yourself instead of Jesus. Like Paul said in verse 1, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Look at the real-life example from Paul's Timothy in Galatians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to see this guy, Timothy. Or Titus, excuse me. We talked about Timothy last week. We're going to talk about Titus this week. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who have reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. The gospel is very simple. You do nothing. Jesus does everything. You believe it. And the truth of that is to be fought for. Paul is willing to defend the truth of the grace of the gospel against the attacks of these legalistic people. He's going to war with legalism. And Titus, he was a Gentile. He was saved by Jesus when he believed the gospel, but he was not circumcised. The Jews who were legalistic really wanted to cut some of his skin off. 
They wanted him to prove what he believed by an outward act. We have all done this. They would say, we've all done this. And if you want to be in our club, you got, this is what all true believers will naturally do. This is what God wants you to do. You got to put your money where your mouth is, Titus. You, of all people, a stinking Gentile, really need this work of circumcision just to make sure that you're forgiven because we still think you're icky. Do something for us to see. I want to see your work. I want to see your works. But turn to chapter 5 and see Paul rip apart this doctrine. This idea that we need to see the works of someone else's life. Look at what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. What does that mean? For we who through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So there he just described how righteousness does come by faith and waiting upon the Lord. Grace. We who eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's the description of grace. Faith, trusting God, working through love. This uh, theologian Boyce wrote a comment on fallen from grace, and I want to share it with you. This phrase does not mean that if a Christian sins, he falls from grace and thereby loses his salvation. It's good to know, because I've sinned a lot. There is a sense in which to sin is to fall from grace if fall in, excuse me, I messed that up completely. There is a sense in which to sin is to fall into grace if one repents. But to fall from grace, as seen in this context, is to fall into legalism. Or to put it in another way, to choose legalism is to relinquish grace as the principle by which one desires to be related to God. Do you want God to be gracious to you or do you want to try to prove yourself to him? There is one way. Grace. Trying to prove yourself to God is slapping Jesus in the face. 
I know it doesn't seem that way. And in our hearts as we're going, we sin, we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, God, I'm so sorry. Let me make it up to you. Stop right there, you just messed it all up. No, God did not say, make it up to me. He said, fall into the grace of Jesus. Lift your eyes to Jesus and what he did on the cross. When you mess up, that's what you do. You don't say, let me make it up to you, God. Let me try harder next time. But that's what we do, right? We gotta, this is a huge deal. Do not choose legalism over grace. It's a terrible choice. And it's a terrible choice because legalism is completely irrelevant when it comes to a relationship with God. So legalism is literally putting a knife to parts of the body that you don't need to. It doesn't accomplish anything, and so it's just called by Paul mutilation. Pointless cutting of flesh. That is what Paul says. What does Paul think about teachers of legalism? Look at down in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Galatians. This is funny. And brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Why was the cross offensive? Because the cross says, no matter how bad you are, you can be forgiven by just believing. Your actions mean nothing. You have to believe. Then God takes care of your actions. Your fruit will follow. But you have to believe, and that's all that you do. No matter how bad you are, no matter how addicted you are, no matter how corrupted you are, the gospel is offensive to our flesh. Because our flesh is like, what do you mean I do nothing? That's stupid. Everything I've ever learned from when I was a little kid to now is that I need to do something and put my best effort in. What do you mean the gospel says I can add nothing? That is offensive to me. But he says, the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. <laughs> Look at this. This is crazy. Let me just read Guzak, because I'll laugh too much if I try to describe it. Paul wishes that those who demand circumcision or works among the Gentiles would go all the way themselves and amputate their genitalia altogether, not merely their foreskins. In other words, if cutting makes you righteous, why don't you do like the pagans do and make yourself a eunuch and castrate yourself? You are acting legalistic, but you don't even go all the way, bro. If you're going to be legalistic, let's do it. Anyone want to illustrate right now? No, we don't want to do that. Not okay. Oh, that's crazy, Paul. Why would I cut off important parts of my body for no reason? Bingo! You just proved legalism false. Mutilation is all it is. So look at verse 13 now in Galatians 5. But you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Okay, so the natural 
thing with the gospel is people, okay, so they understand, okay, wait, wait, wait. If I believe the gospel, Jesus forgives me of all my sin? Really? Just like that? All right. And we think that we need to water down the gospel. We think we need to tell people, Jesus will forgive you your sin, but let's get your life under control. Let's start, let's start doing this. Let's start doing that. Let's get the knife out. Let's carve some of this flesh off. God is not concerned with that. He has forgiven all of your sin. And this is crazy because the gospel is explicit and it is free, totally free. You are forgiven of all sin. You may go sin if you would like. And you will be forgiven. Yes, I said it. You will be forgiven if you believe the gospel. But Paul here, he brings the catch. He says, now, you've been called to this liberty. You are free. Only do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. What does God give you when you're saved, when you're forgiven? The Holy Spirit. So he's saying, grow in this love relationship with the Holy Spirit where you delight in love, giving control of your life over to him. All of a sudden, your mom, who's been a jerk to you your whole life, you pray and you say, Lord, how do you want me to act to this crazy person? And the response from the Holy Spirit will be love. And he says, you are now enabled and equipped to follow through with what the Holy Spirit puts in your heart, love. And this is the wonderful work of God. You have been forgiven, but now grow in love. Follow the Holy Spirit. In every one of your actions, ask the Holy Spirit, what is the loving thing to do here? And the answer is what you should do. It says, verse 14, For the law, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're worried about keeping the law, if you're worried about the rules, he says, it's okay. I've removed all of those rules and I've replaced them with one word. You couldn't handle the two words, be perfect. So let me give you one word. Love. Love. You have been freed from all rules to have one word. Love. Abound from your heart. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, legalistic teachers, they hate the freedom that's in the gospel. They're like, if I don't tell people how to live, they're not going to honor God, and then all is lost. But they don't know the power of the gospel. Because when we are freed, our response isn't, let me live in the flesh. It's love. It's love. We learn how to walk in the Spirit and in his love. We are empowered to walk in the spirit and in his love. Okay, so legalism is bad. 
We can't think that our keeping the rules makes us any more righteous in God's sight. It doesn't help us to keep the laws. So, should we just sin and sin some more? Is that what you're just saying? No. We now have this thing called the Holy Spirit given to us as a free gift of God's grace. And he is all love. Love for God and love for others just flows out of him. And as we walk in him through humility and faith, that's why those two words are so important. Because those are the relational realities that we, that's how we walk in the Holy Spirit. Humility and faith. We won't be dominated by sin when we do that. Sin's power is broken and we are truly free from the internal desires for sin. Check this out. When you follow the Holy Spirit, you get circumcised in the heart. Not outward, inward. And He, the Holy Spirit, is all we need. He is Jesus, it's His Spirit. He gives us everything for free, and that's how grace works. We humbly trust his word, and then he changes us and saves us completely, setting us free from the inside out. He brings the knife to our hearts. And that's where you get to Colossians chapter 2. And we've got to see Colossians 2 real quick before we go. Colossians 2.19, or 9, 2, nine. Jesus is all we need. His spirit is all you need. It's crazy. It says in verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Complete means complete. You don't need anything else. If anyone wants to add something to your life or says you're missing something, just say, I'm okay. I have Jesus and Jesus is all I need. But you should stop doing this or you should start doing that. I'm going to let Jesus tell me those things through his Holy Spirit and the word of God. Maybe you can be a part of that process by leading me in the word to a verse that says, this is what I should do or should not do. But do not come to me and say, this is the rule, follow the rule. Jesus is all I need. He is my power. He is a better surgeon on my heart than you are. In fact, when you cut, it's on the outside of my body and it hurts. But he gets to the heart of the problems and only he can. Verse 11. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Isn't that crazy? God does the work in your heart by grace. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in how hard you tried. No, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. He forgave them all. Verse 14, having wiped 
out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The requirements, the laws, the rules. He wiped them all out. They were all against us and they were contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You should do something. No, that was nailed to the cross. You should be better. That was nailed to the cross. I am exactly who I am in Christ. I am free. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, the cross. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All these rules. Oh, if you celebrate Christmas, you're a heathen. Oh, if you don't come to Easter service, you're a pagan. Oh, if you do this, if you don't do that, no, 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 no. It says, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. See, keeping all those rules, they had some value before Jesus came because they foreshadowed what Jesus would do. But when Jesus came, all of them become a shadow. When my wife goes on, on women's retreat, she's gone so long, like three days, and I miss her so much, so much. And, and when she comes home, it would be so bizarre if as she's walking up the steps, I went and I just hugged her shadow. And I said, oh, I've missed you so much, Dana. Oh, you were my joy, and I just was so empty without you. I love you so much. And I'm hugging the shadow, and I'm kissing the shadow. And I'm like, I'm going to make sure I make you feel the way. I'm going to do what's right by you, shadow. And she's standing there like, you're an idiot. When people get on one thing and they say, if you don't do this, I don't see how you can love Jesus or follow Jesus. Man, it's a shadow. It's a shadow. No, I'm not talking about blatant sin. I'm talking about people who are like, want to add legalistic requirements to your life. The work of Jesus is internal. Rules only affect the outside. His, he gives his spirit into our heart. That's where he comes to live, in our heart. And he gives it to any who ask in humility and faith. And when his spirit takes us and takes residency in our hearts, he brings life and righteousness to our actions. Just like Jesus was made alive by the working of God, we are too. He took away the requirements, the laws, the rules. The cross eliminates them. When you believe in the cross, you are now free from all rules and you will never be convicted of sin. It's gone. So you see a brother in sin. You say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. You're struggling in sin. Yeah. Bro, you're forgiven. Let's lift our eyes to the Lord and look at what he's done on the cross. Allow his work on the cross to permeate your heart. And that's the way we have victory over sin. It's the only way. But that seems pretty passive. Like, no, it's pretty active. You have to lift your eyes to the cross. You have to, by faith, look to the cross and by faith, believe it. There's a lot of action there. 
but it's all action that's not you-sourced. It's Jesus-centered. That's the difference. The enemy can't bring them up at your trial ever again, your sins. That's what he talks about when the principalities and all that. The enemy can't bring them up. Jesus disarmed their ability that they had because he has forgiven you. The best way to get someone to stop sinning is to show them that they've been forgiven of all sin and sin will never be held against them. That's how the gospel of grace works. You are already forgiven of all sin when you believe. You can't lose your salvation by sinning. This is the freedom that we hold on to. So why did God give circumcision anyway? That's interesting. The picture of circumcision is pointing to the work that Jesus would do in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This work is the real thing, and circumcision was just the shadow that pointed to the real thing that Jesus would do in our hearts. And I can prove it to you in Jeremiah 4.4. 4. God's like, you want to know the real heart of the issue? You guys are messed up from the heart, he was telling his people, Israel. He said, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah, inhabitants of Israel, lest my fury come forth like a fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. The work in the heart was the real point. And people are real bad at doing heart surgery. They can't. Actually, I had heart surgery. Didn't you know that? When I was two years old, I had open heart surgery. Had a heart murmur. Big long story. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> so how does Paul deal with legalistic teachers? What is his strategy? Look in Titus chapter 1. In Titus 1, verse 10 and 11, it says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, ought not for the sake of dishonest game. Paul's strategy is to shut them up. He goes to battle with them for the truth of the gospel, and his strategy is to say, You're forgiven. Believe the gospel. The gospel by itself saves, not your stinking rules, not your burden of performancism. <sighs> I want to read our verses one more time in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things is not tedious for you, but it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision. Oh, what is circumcision do you think he's talking about? The heart, right? Who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, not myself, and have no confidence in the flesh. Notice the contrast between legalistic, dangerous teachers and us. We are the circumcision, done without hands, the internal working of God. We worship God in the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit, the free gift of grace. And our relationship with God is completely based and centered around the gift of relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he says, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. The only works we boast about or that make us happy are His works, 
not mine. He is the center. He is the source. He is everything and we are complete in him, believing in him by faith. And they have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. That's really the heart source of legalism is that they believe in themselves. And we need to renounce all dependency on our flesh. We got to say, I can't stop sinning on my own spirit. I need you. I ask for you. I depend on you in faith. A true believer doesn't trust their own abilities. A true believer can freely confess their own inability. They can shout with a smile, I am nothing and Christ is everything. That's the freedom of a believer of the gospel. We are free to be weak. We're free to be a failure. We're free to be losers. Which is great because as I look around, I'm not going to complete that sentence. (laughs) And in that humble admission of need, what do you think Jesus rushes in with? life-giving grace with righteous power to live by. His Holy Spirit fills empty and weak vessels, doesn't it? Who can say amen to that? Why, oh why, do we want to be seen as strong law keepers when the truth of the gospel is that we are not? Yet wonderful law keeping is simply given freely to those who hear and confess their inability to God and depend on His Holy Spirit and His grace instead. This is how we get the freedom Jesus offers. We must trust Him and Him alone. Our flesh gets in the way. Our flesh tries to see who we are based on what we do. Have you ever looked at yourself and said, I'm a sucky Christian? That's your flesh, actually. You're not. Do you believe the gospel? Then you're holy. Paul teaches us here to look at who we are based on what Jesus did. And that will change what you do. Make no mistake. His power is so powerful. His love. You know, you're really just like a tree. When you believe in Jesus and the gospel, you begin to have his life flow through you like sap. And it can be slow, but over time, you will produce the right kind of fruit. And that's why it's called the fruits of the Spirit, not the works of the Spirit. We have to let His life produce it. Our job is to abide in Him. The wrong way to obtain this fruit is to look at your branches and cut them, or beat them, or yell at them until they produce fruit. The pastor who does that is a terrible pastor. Just abide with Jesus and allow his life to flow through you. Be believing all that is given to you by the gospel of grace. Verse 5, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. God has made you righteous. And you will see the fruit of that in your life. Hold fast to the freedom he's given you by grace. You will never 
earn any of it. So I have a question for you, us here. Who needs a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? A fresh assurance of what Jesus has done for you already. Call on the name of the Lord today. Confess your sin and your need and your weakness. He gives his Holy Spirit to any and all who call on him, believing in his name.